Hi guys, welcome back. Uh, we're here today with Gemma Burton, formerly Gemma Gibbons, uh, London 2012 Olympic silver medalist, um, former judoka and now teacher. So thanks for joining us, Gem. Thanks for having me, guys. You're going to say hello, Aaron, today? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Hi, Gemma. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Hi, Aaron. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm kind of frozen now. I don't know what happened. Oh. He's in his own little world. Um, no, it's really nice to have you, Gem. Thanks a lot for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, just for all the listeners out there, do you mind just sort of giving a very brief introduction to kind of who you are, um, how you got into judo, where you started, um, and then we'll sort of take it from there. Um, yeah, I'm Gemma Burton. I, when I competed, I was known as Gemma Gibbons. I started judo when I was six and I retired at the end of 2016. And probably my biggest result was winning the silver medal at the London 2012 Olympic Games that Tom mentioned earlier. Nice. Well, where did you start uh, judo, Gemma? And how did you get into it? Like, what made you start? So I was six when I started and I, I definitely didn't start because I thought, oh, I'll try judo because I didn't know what judo was and I was six. So I didn't really have get much a choice and much say in where I went and when I went. But my mum had a friend whose two kids went to the local judo club um, and I think she thought oh, it would be good to take Gemma. One, to obviously meet new people, make friends, but I was a little bit of a handful when I was younger and I was kind of bouncing off the walls at bedtime. Um, I think she thought it would be a good idea to take me to judo. I'd waste all of that energy and I'd be, be a little bit easier to go to bed at night times. So I'm not sure if it worked, um, but I pretty much fell in love with the sport straight away. Yeah, never looked back really. And uh, was it quite, when did it sort of get serious for you then? When did it become like a competitive thing? So, as I said, I started when I was six at the Metro Judo Club, and that's still the club that, obviously I don't compete now, but it's still the club that my licence is under. Um, but I started when I was six, and I was really lucky, I guess, that I had quite a few people at my judo club who were black belts, who were on the British judo team, who'd been to the Youth Olympic Games, actually Vicky Dunn had been to the Olympic Games. So I had a lot of people to look up to and aspire to be like. And I knew pretty much within... I guess a year or so of starting judo that I wanted to be like them. I wanted to have a black belt. I wanted to compete for Great Britain. I wanted to have the British flag on my judo kit and get the tracksuit and be, I guess, be the best judo player in the world. Um, and I think it was 11 or 12 when I first competed in the British Championships and got onto the British judo team. And then, yeah, it just kind of went from there, really. And um, started full time judo when I was 18, I think I was. Um, and yeah, just never looked back, really. I can't ever remember a time when judo wasn't a part of my life. Nice. And you, you started full-time at, at Bath, or did you go somewhere else first? Because you went so Bath for a while, I, didn't you? Yeah, so I was in Bath for three years. So um, after I left school, I went to college, and I guess I was semi-training full-time. So I was training four nights a week at my club and other judo clubs within kind of an hour, an hour and a half drive around from where I lived. So other clubs in Kent and Essex, just to keep trying to get as much Randori as possible. And then I was also doing some like strength and conditioning stuff um, around my college. But when I was, eight, I think I was 18 or 19, it was a long time ago now. Um, that's when I moved to, I guess, my first full-time training environment, which was Bath. Um, and I kind of moved there because basically I was forced into it. So my club coach, Mick, kind of said to me, right, you either get a job or you go and train full-time and study at 
the university. So I kind of thought studying would be the easier option than getting a job. So I went to Bath um, and yeah, it was my first time proper training, uh, full-time training environment. And I was there for three years. Um, and it, I guess I didn't quite have the best of starts. So I went along and, and I loved judo. Like I've always loved judo. And my favorite part of judo has been like randori, but I didn't quite like the other stuff. And at that point in my career, I didn't really realize or wasn't willing to accept how important the other stuff was and that you can't just do the bits that you enjoy doing. So um, my studies were pretty much taking a similar path. Um, I didn't mind studying. And if there was a lecture that was in the afternoon, I didn't mind going along. But quite often lectures were like early in the morning and I wasn't quite up for getting up early in the morning. <laughs> I'd quite often be found in bed, tucked up under my duvet. Um, but I'd be telling myself it was fine because I'd go along to like the lecture in the afternoon. Um, but after my first year of uni, I got called into the lead lecturer's office and basically told that I was getting chucked off of um, the course. Really? And yeah, so I knew straight away. I'd been kidding myself on that I'd been doing enough. I was telling myself, well, when I am turning up for lectures and I am turning up for training, I'm, I'm doing my best. So what's the issue? But I knew deep down I wasn't. And obviously he said that to me and it was deserved. Like I shouldn't have been allowed to carry on. But um, luckily he said he, get, he gave me another chance. And like, as I said, he probably shouldn't have. But from the moment he said, right, okay, you've got one more chance, you can retake the year. So I had to actually retake the whole year and spend like another however many thousands of pounds it was wow. to retake the year. But from that moment, like I knew that I wouldn't ever let myself down like that again. Um, and my judo, as I said, was kind of taking a similar path. Jürgen, who's my coach at the time, was a big fan of running. I was not a fan of running. <laughs> so if the training included, you know, Tom, quite often it included like an hour run outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, I probably wasn't a fan of it either. <laughs> you turned up, Tom. Um, I turned up after the first year. So, yeah, the first year again, I just stay in bed telling my housemates who were also in the judo program, oh, it's fine, I'll, I'll come along to judo later. And when I stepped onto the mat, I gave it 100%. I was going after people. Um, but after that, I guess that moment with that lecture, I realized that, yeah, it's just doing the bits that I want to do or that I think are important, just it's not going to be good enough. And from that moment, even though it was related just to my academics, I kind of, it, it was a turning point for me and I realised that I can't carry on that way. Like I've got to take responsibility and I've got to do what I've got to do. If I actually want this, then I need to go after it properly because otherwise it's never going to happen. Um, so that was a big turning point for me. And then I spent another two years at Bath finishing that foundation degree or retaking it, should we say, and then finishing it. Um, and then at that point, the British Judo, God, what was it called then? Was it Performance Institute? And, and I don't know if it started being called as that, but yeah, Dartford, the, the, the centre, basically. So basically, the centre at Dartford opened up. Um, and at that point, I had been on like performance potential funding and Patrick Rue, who was the head coach at the time, um, because it's performance potential, he could kind of pick who was on funding and who wasn't. And he decided to take me off. Now, I still up until this day think that that was not, well, I think it was not the right decision in terms of the results I had and in terms of how I was carrying myself at judo. But actually, again, I think that was a massive turning point for me because it made me go, well, I'm going to show you, Patrick, 
And actually, I had to move from Bath to Dartford because without the funding, I couldn't afford to live and stay in Bath. So I moved to the centre because it was only like a half an hour drive away from where I come from. So started training there. I was pretty much one of the only people there that was not on funding, even though I had some of the better results. Um, but then within a couple of months of being there, I was put back on funding um, after winning medals at the under 23 Europeans and World University Games. So although I don't think he made the right decision in terms of I feel that I did deserve to stay on funding, I actually think that it probably actually was a big turning point again for me in my career. And actually, maybe I'll give him a more uh, gratitude or not maybe gratitude. A little well. footnote of gratitude. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> not quite the right word, but maybe he knew what he was doing and it was his, in his plan all along. Um, but yeah, it definitely gave me a kick up the backside. I don't think I really needed a big one, but it just gave me that extra little push to say yeah. like, no, I'm going to show you and I do deserve to be a funded player and I am going to go somewhere. So that then took me to Dartford. I trained there for three or four years under lots of different coaches, which is really good actually. Um, some of them I didn't get on personally with quite as well as others, but actually getting to work with so many different coaches was great. I look back on it now, it was great because not one coach can be brilliant at everything. They're all going to have like areas that they are better than the other coach at. And I was able, I guess, to tap into all of those different areas where I think sometimes people attempted, I, I didn't want to leave Bath, but some people attempted to stay in one training environment. And that can be great, but also I think it, it well, it does, it limits the coaches that you're able to access and their skills that they that they have. So actually, when I look back at that time, although I didn't want to go there in the first place, and some of the coaches, I wouldn't say were my best of friends, actually, uh, yeah, I gained loads from my time there. Yeah. Um, that took me to 2012. And then in 2008, I'd started dating Ewan. Um, kind of knew that we wanted to be together and live together, but... Ewan thought he had the best chance of, I guess, doing well at 2012, being in Scotland training. I thought I had the best chance staying down south training. So we kind of said, right, as soon as 2012 is out of the way, one of us will move. He'll move down or I'll move up. And it just, everything with um, the centre in Dartford closing, a job becoming available in Juno, Scotland, that he was going to go for, everything just made more sense for me to move up. So I moved up until my last four years of my career, I was up training in Scotland. So been in lots of different training environments over the years nice and uh, yeah and we can definitely talk a little bit more about each of those um and, and sort of about the olympics specifically um a bit later on but yeah that's great that's a really good overview thanks jim um it sounds like you've definitely had sort of two quite clear turning points where you've kind of that kick up the arse or that adversity has made you sort of step up is that sort of like a, a common characteristic for you do you think like you need that yeah i think, so. I think i'm a pretty stubborn person really um i think <laughs> The first time was definitely a kick up the backside and it was definitely deserved because I wasn't I wasn't acting in the way that I needed to be acting. I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing. And I think that was a big, I kind of saw literally my life unravel before me and everything I dreamt of and everything I hoped was going to happen in the future just kind of all taken away when I was in that lecturer's office. Um, so that I think was the biggest turning point for me for where I was like, wow, okay, like I'm literally going to mess my life up here. Like, I, I need to do something, I need to change. So that, I'd say that was the biggest one. And then the other one with the funding, I think that was more me just, I guess, I, I was always going to do at that point what I could to be the best I could at judo. Um, I think it just gave me 
maybe gave me a little bit extra to just go up yours. I am good enough and I'm, I'm not going to just prove it to myself. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and that's probably yeah, a little bit of my character, which might not be the best, um, well, maybe but it's it, a good thing. it is what it is. Yeah. If, if it's a, mo- I guess, is, would you say it's a motivator for you to sort of prove people wrong? I think when you feel like you're doing the right things and someone, I guess, says that you're not or doesn't believe in you and actually you feel like you've done enough and are actually going to get to where you are, you do just want to, you do kind of want to go, well, no, like, I am good enough and I am going to prove that to you. Like, don't tell me I'm worse than I actually am, like... I might not be the best in the world. I might not be this. I might not be that. But I'm going to do everything I can to get there. Like, please don't make out that I'm not. I think it was more that. They, they weren't saying that you don't have the results for funding. They were saying you don't have the right, I guess, potentially attitude. Um, but at that point, I, I felt I did have the right attitude. And I don't think attitude changed in sense. So, and I don't think with a bad attitude, you'd be able to get to compete in the Olympic Games and get to win some of the medals that I did. So I felt like I was in the right and I wasn't, I guess, willing to allow him to tell me that I wasn't. Yeah, sure, sure. Nice. And do you think there was, um, we're sort of skipping forward a little bit, but um, kind of relevant. Um, do you think there was an element of that for you as a motivator for, for 2012, sort of like proving people wrong? Or was it was that not a factor for you? Yeah, I, I think that it was a tiny bit of a factor. It was more that I just wanted to prove that I wasn't there just to get the tracksuit. Like, I'm not saying I believe that I could be Olympic champion that day because I'm not sure I thought I could. I'm not saying I, I believe that I could win an Olympic medal or that I would win an Olympic medal, but I believe that I deserve to be there and I believe that if I had my best day, I could do something and there was potential that I could end up on the podium. And I just, yeah, I wanted to prove... I guess, as much to myself and to anybody else who was maybe thinking, oh, well, they shouldn't have selected her. That's not even her weight category. That, okay, maybe I'm not going to win a medal, but I do deserve to be here. And I can actually, I, if, I, if I do my best performance, I can do something. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a little bit of that, not so much um, in, in the way, <laughs> in the previous example, but yeah, definitely yeah. a little bit. Nice. Okay, I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'm going to let Aaron talk because I've I've been going on. Um, just sort of like, if you were to talk to a um, a non judo person or a non sports person, how would you describe that sort of your best period in judo or the best parts of being a judo player? Like, how would you sort of describe what that's like, the feelings, the emotions, that journey, and how would you sort of put that across to somebody who maybe didn't couldn't sort of feel it themselves? I think when I, when you ask me that question, the first thing I think about is tournament results. And when I think about tournament results, I think the feelings that I felt were like happiness, buzzing, like, like really happy, but in equal amounts, it was relief, like relief. Thank God, all of those hours and months and years of training have actually paid off. Like I've always believed I could medal at this level, but thank God I've actually done it. Like it was worth it, which actually, is that the best feeling ever? I mean, it's a good feeling, but actually when you then, when I actually think of the original question, your best times, my best times didn't come from competitions. They, they came from training camps, from 
a lot of them came from when I went away to Asia. So maybe like Japan for four weeks at a time. And I was with my like training peers, my friends, and it was just the experiences from that. That's definitely the best times. The results, yeah, they're great. Um, but actually when I look back on my judo career, whether I'd won that Olympic medal or not, I would actually, I would be the same person that I am right now and the experiences I have, apart from some of like the extra fun stuff that I got to do because I won a medal, but like the actual real experiences of being with my friends and going after the same stuff together and supporting each other and having those amazing times around Japan, none of that would have changed. So I think it's the journey and the adventure of being a judo player that definitely was the highlight. When I look back now, they're the times I think about, I don't think about results or oh after winning that medal that felt great it's the times that I think about oh when we're in Japan and we were laughing about this and we're having a crack about that that's the times that I think about and I guess the times that I reminisce on yeah nice I think I'm similar every every time I speak to one of these guests for this podcast I remember something funny with that person and it's like they are nice memories to think about we, we spoke to Lewis Keeble the other day and he's such a funny boy the amount of things he talks about that made me laugh um, yeah, I can definitely understand. Like, and I think it's that you don't realize that until you sort of zoom out from it a little bit and step back and like look at sort of reflect on your journey. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that, and that's the fact. It is the journey. You're not thinking about the journey when you're on it. You're thinking about the competitions and the results. But actually, the competitions and the results are a tiny part. At the time, it feels like they're the only part. But actually, yeah. when you're out of it, so after I retired, I never once felt sad that I wasn't at a tournament. I only felt sad when I saw everybody out in Japan and I was like, oh, it'd be so, it'd be so great to be there with them right now. And that's kind of made me realize actually, yeah, the results are good, the medals are good. Um, but it was it was the journey, I guess, that was the great thing about my judo career. That's what Buchanan said as well, didn't he? Same thing, John, some of the stories that he, he didn't like. We remember the time he got medals and fights he won. He just had the crazy times and the stories that he has. That's what he like missed the most, I think. As well, that's what he said. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Yeah, the medals are cool. Like it's nice, um, but I'm not going to be talking to Finn when he's older about oh I won this fight and I won this <laughs> medal. Oh, I'll be telling him about the fun times and actually probably a lot of the stories I won't tell him about. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't hear about. Um, but yeah. Oh, I've just remembered yeah. something. I've remembered when that lady came to squad training and did the social media session. Oh, God. See, that, that's another one. Let's <laughs> I just remember. That, right? <laughs> Let's keep that under wraps, Tom. Yeah, we won't talk about that, but yeah, we can talk about that off air. <laughs> All I would say is that I'm actually glad. At the time, I was mortified and fuming with her, but I'm actually glad that she did do that because... For you especially. <laughs> After after that day, I thought if if she hadn't come along, so yeah, yeah. that was brilliant. Um, Jim, can you what was what was it like leading up to London, like the Olympic cycle and stuff, and obviously moving up weights like so close to the tournament and stuff. How what what was you what was you feeling and your emotions you went through and stuff like that? Yeah, it was it was a pretty tricky time, but I, I guess I didn't really look back at the two years before the Olympic Games as a tricky time. It was just, it was basically myself and Sally Conway basically 
battling it out against each other for the two years before 2012 to basically see who was going to get to go. Um, we obviously had some other great competitors who we were competing against, like Megan Fletcher and Scarlett and other people like that. But generally, it was always myself or Sally and kind of had been that way since cadets. So cadets, juniors and seniors, it always been one of us generally who was number one at GB and the other one who was kind of chasing them down and then would take over and that person would then be number one for a period of time but then it was always switching um, and the two years in the lead up to 2012 were exactly the same and um, there was tournaments that I'd go to I'd beat Sally I'd lift on podium and other tournaments the other way around where she'd beat me and she'd end up on the podium and there just wasn't that much between us um, and then the last I guess real qualifying event which was the European Championships just before the Olympic Games um, as I said, not, not really much between us at that point. And it was Daniel Laskow who was, what was he, like the PD? Yeah, PD at yeah, that time. PD, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the night before we fought. So we'd weighed in, we'd just weighed in, we'd gone to get our dinner, and we were in the dinner queue, waiting to get our dinner, and he called us both over. So we kind of had our, our plates half full of dinner, but obviously we went over, called us both over, and he was sat down, tucking into his dinner, and just casually said, oh, by the way, girls, we can't choose between the two of you of who's going to go to the Olympic Games. So we're basically just going to forget everything that's happened up to this point. We're just going to go on to whatever happens tomorrow. So basically, whoever does better tomorrow, you'll go to the Olympic Games at 70 kilos. And whoever doesn't, we'd like that person to compete at the weight above, so under 78 kilos, two weeks later at the British Open. And if that person does better than all of the other under 78 kilo players, that person will then get to go at 78 kilos wow. as, I guess, preparation potentially for one of you going to 2016. Because we think one of you will be able to go to 2016 and be in a position to win a medal, but we don't know which one of you it will be. We'd love to take you both. We can only take one. This is what's going to happen. So we were kind of like holding our dinner plates, like, <laughs> right, okay then. Um, Kind of went back, went back to the dinner queue to, to finish piling our plate full of food. And then I, I kind of, I'd taken in what he'd said, but to me it was kind of irrelevant because I was going to go tomorrow and I was going to do better than Sally and I was going to confirm my place at 2012 because um, that had been what I was going to do for the last however many years. And the next day came and I lost first fight to the Dutch girl who went on to win it. So that was not the best to start. And then Sally went and got a seventh place finish. So... Yeah, that was me not going to the Olympic Games. And I knew, obviously, I didn't have to wait for a selection letter. I knew that was going to be the case because I'd just been told the night before. Um, and, yeah, literally my world, like, crashed. I That's definitely the lowest point in my judo career that I've had. Um, and it was, like, a couple of days, probably 48 hours of just literally crying and feeling sorry for myself. Um, but I guess I was lucky that I had people like you and around me and... Um, I remember Aurelian, the SNC coach, he was really good as well. And they both just kind of said, you've got another chance here. Like, you've got a chance. Not many people get one opportunity to compete in the sport that they love on the biggest sporting stage in the world at the Olympic Games in their hometown. Like, you've now got a second opportunity. Like, don't mess it up. And I realised that, yeah, okay, it might not be at my weight, but I do have a second chance here. So it was just two more weeks, just training just as I had done for the last however many years, went to the British Open and I won the gold medal. So, I mean, I didn't know for sure, but I was pretty sure that was me then selected um, at 78 and had to wait maybe another couple of weeks for the selection to come out. 
Um, but yeah, that was me selected at 78 kilos. So I was still a bit fuming and a bit raging. It wasn't a my weight category, I'm not going to lie. Um, but I was also really chuffed that I was going to have an opportunity to show what I could do, I guess, on the be- biggest sporting stage in the world. Did you feel any pressure? Like, we know when you, when you went to London and stuff at 78, did you just, like, fight with, like, no pressure because it wasn't your weight? Does that make sense? Like, was you just like, oh, no... Because did, did anyone really did anyone expect you to get a medal or did like or was you just kind of like oh I'm gonna just have fun? No, kind of? I think a hundred percent of people expected me to lose first fight, um, yeah. and I knew there was a big chance that I, I would lose first fight. But I also knew there was a chance that I could win a couple of fights, and I knew if there was a chance that I could win a couple of fights, I could potentially get into the quarterfinals. And I knew if there was a chance that I got there, then who knows what can happen? It's judo, and if I did my best judo on that day. I kind of thought, well, who knows what can happen? And I guess internally there was a lot of pressure because, as I said before, I kind of wanted to prove that I did deserve to be there. Um, and also I felt like, I, I felt I really did feel like if I did my best judo on that day, there was a chance that I could end up in those medal fights. So internally there was tons of pressure. Externally, zero pressure. Because, as I said, everyone thought I was going to lose first fight. So... I guess, yeah, externally, I remember in like the build up to 2012 and a couple of months beforehand, so the team had been selected and we had tons of media days at Dartford because there was so much attention from the media around all of the sporting teams. And every time we had a media day, we'd all get dressed up in our tracksuits, we'd do our hair, we'd do our makeup, we'd make sure we're looking good. And I, I don't think there was once that I ever got interviewed. So it was quite, <laughs> quite nice because I just got to kind of chill at the back. Well, the likes of Ewan and Karina and Sarah Clark were getting like hounded by the cameras. Um, so, yeah, externally, there probably wasn't that much pressure, but internally, there was as much pressure as if I'd been competing at under 70. So, there was still a ton load of pressure. It just maybe didn't come from the same place it would have come from if I'd been fighting at what I considered at the time my weight category. Wow. I, I, I wonder what. Um... I, I went to watch you actually. So I arrived, I had second block tickets. So I walked in as you, I think you were just walking out for the semi-final when I came in. Okay. And, like, and I've been on my phone checking that you were like the results on the train on the way up. And I got in there just as you went to walk out for the semi-final. And I, and I felt loads of pressure like as a spectator, like, cause I obviously sort of been part of that journey and seen all the different players like come through and try and I knew what it meant to, to get to the games and like or not get to the games so I, I arrived there and I was like Jesus there's so much pressure so much excitement like how how were you in that sort of moment when you walked out for that semi-final because obviously a semi-final is such a big thing isn't it it's like potentially the difference between you know a guaranteed medal and a chance for a gold or potentially nothing at all like do you rem- remember yeah. sort of walking out for that I remember waiting in the holding blocks because, uh, purely because my competitor, Chimeo, who, if anyone's seen her, she is a strong-looking girl. Not just looking, she's a strong girl. Um, and I remember being in the holding pen with her and she was literally, like, growling and grunting as we were stood there. And I remember <laughs> literally turning over my shoulder to Kate and just being like, Kate, and she's like, it's okay, just, just relax. Um, so I remember that very vividly. Um, but other than that, I think every fight I had that day, including the semi-final and the final, didn't feel any different to any other fight because for me, 
when you go out to fight, you're, you're basically in a bubble. You're not really aware of any of the spectators. You're not thinking, oh, there's, this is probably going to be on the TV. And literally, it's you, the person you're fighting, your coach and the referee. And then generally when I fight, that's all I really hear. Um, and that was the same for all of those fights. So I guess the, the biggest point, two biggest points, I guess, in that Olympic I guess, journey when I was a bit like, okay, this is a bit different, was that, and I wouldn't say it was a bit different, but I, I was kind of a bit scared for my life when I was stood next to Chairman, Chairman waiting to go out. But that could have been in any environment. But the big difference was on the first day. So it was when Kelly and Ashley were fighting. And I think Kelly, I'm pretty sure it was Kelly, it was, she was the first GB judo fighter to come out to fight. And we were stood, obviously, sat, in the stands waiting to cheer her on because it was like another five days until I fought and as she walked out from the tunnel like the stadium literally erupted and the seats were kind of like metal tinny kind of like seats and like everyone was bashing their feet and chanting her name as she did the walk out and I remember just going oh my god like it was something like I'd never seen anything or heard anything like it before and kind of took a big gulp and obviously I was sat with the other GB duo players and we kind of like looked at each other and were like, without even saying it, realised, okay, crap, we're going to have to do that, like in either two days, three days, four days, however many days it is until it's our day. And that was, I guess, the big time when I was a bit like, oh, goodness, this is a bit different. But as soon as it was my day to fight, it didn't feel any different to any other day, if I'm honest. just felt like another important competition, but... I've always got nervous for competitions, regardless of whether it's a club championships or the Olympic Games. And I don't actually think, well, I wasn't. I wasn't any more nervous for that day or less nervous for that day than I was any other competition I fought in. Oh, wow. And the same for the final as well. Yeah, exactly the same. Like, I don't think any fight I felt any different going out to it and fighting it. It was maybe for a second when I came off, when I was like, okay, this means I'm in the quarterfinal now. Mm. But then it's back to business, back to the warm-up area, back to work with Kate and Darren, back to kind of get a plan for the next fight, focusing on the next fight. There was no point really when I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess maybe after the semi-final actually, because you're like, wow, I've won in a little bit. Literally, by the time I walked back to the warm-up area, mm. it was just back to the plan really. Yeah. Well, you, you might have been calm, but everyone else definitely wasn't. Because I ran around and saw everyone like in their little, the, all the other players, and uh, everyone was pretty emotional after the semi final. Yeah, but like, saying that, there's so obviously I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I've obviously watched the fight a few times, and like the camera pans from me having thrown Jamea into the crowd, and it is like all of you guys, I guess, it, like you, you and John Brown, like loads of faces there, my teammates, other people that I know from the British judo circuit, but that I don't actually really know now. And everyone just looks so happy. And that is one of my fondest memories from that, even though it's not my memory as such, but mm. getting to watch that on the video is like one of my fondest memories because yeah, it was great for me. It was amazing for me, like becoming an Olympic medalist, but I think it was just so good for British judo because we had to wait like so long for it. And kind of as a player, it felt like, is this ever going to happen? Are we ever mm. going to win an Olympic medal again? Um, so I think it was just so nice to see, I guess, what, what a good and happy moment it was just for British judo. So, yeah. yeah. Were you aware of the, I didn't plan to ask you this, but I just remembered it. Were you aware of the stuff with Denzine? 
Yes. Yeah. Because he gave you your medal, didn't he? Yeah, if you watch me get my medal, you'll see that basically I don't look at him. And because I'm not looking at him, I drop the flowers because I'm basically not looking at him. I'm looking at (laughs) you and everybody else in the crowd. I'm like, I'm purposely not looking at him. So I basically drop the flowers on the floor and then have to pick them up. Um, But yeah, I was fully aware of it. And it wasn't something I thought about um, like on my day or anything. But when I was getting given my medal, I was... Mm. I was definitely about. I was like, I don't want you giving me my flowers. Like, do I? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was aware, but it wasn't something that came into, I guess, my when I was actually fighting. But yeah, mm-hmm. when I was given my medal and my flowers, yeah, uh, with a tried to make it clear to him that I I wasn't exactly happy that it was him giving me my flowers. Yeah, that was like <laughs> the perfect, almost perfect in a way that it happened that way. Although it's like, yeah, you're not happy with it him giving you the flowers it was quite a nice like sort of story like enter that story almost that he ended up giving you the flowers and you looked away <laughs> yeah and dropped them <laughs> hey, never mind nice um, was you was you satisfied Gemma when you got Olympic silver because I know there's obviously like Olympic silver you're in a final you think oh you yeah. want to get obviously gold was you like after it all calmed down was you did you sit back and be like oh, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied so that day and that night and the next day, yeah, I was buzzing. I was like, look, I've got an Olympic medal. It's like an actual Olympic medal. Like, I can't believe it. I was like, yeah, absolutely buzzing. And it was probably maybe a couple of weeks later to a month later that I started going, oh, actually, yeah, it's an Olympic medal. But I was that blinking close. Like, I, I lost on two Yukos. Like, I could, I can beat Kate Harrison. I could have won that fight. I could be Olympic champion. Like, why can't I just done that little bit extra and I probably felt like that for about six months um and then it was probably yeah about another six months later that actually kind of did a 360 and got to the stage where I was like yeah it would be nice to be Olympic champion I'm not gonna lie but I and I I do believe I did absolutely everything I could on that day to try and win that Olympic gold medal and I just wasn't quite good enough Kayla that day was slightly better than me and she deserves to be Olympic champion that day and I deserve to be Olympic silver medalist that day so that there was nothing more that I can do and I think if I look back and think maybe if I'd done that differently or I could have tried a little bit harder I think that would be something that still breaks on me now um but I was at I did I did absolutely everything I could and it just wasn't quite enough she was she was the better judo player that day so yeah it is annoying I would like to be Olympic champion I'm not gonna lie um (laughs) but it is what it is did you get any sort of post-Olympic blues, would you say? Because people talk about that, don't they? Um, I don't I don't think so, because I, in my second fight that I had that day, I broke my thumb into four places. Obviously, I didn't realise at the time. But I had to have surgery, like, the day after I competed to put a metal plate in with bolts and stuff. So I was actually off for six months after the Olympics. And I think I was unhappy about it because I was like, I'm doing amazing. I want to go win more medals. But I actually think it was probably the best thing for me because I did get to enjoy everything that came with becoming a London 2012 Olympic medalist in the months after. So there was lots of experiences that I got to do and I wouldn't have got to make take advantage of them if I had been competing. And I know that if I had the chance of competing or doing this great experience, I would have competed because I wanted to win. Um, so I think I would have missed out on quite a lot. Um, but actually, I got to enjoy all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, then that was I was back competing kind of before I knew it. 
So, Jim, what was it like fighting after London, like your first tournament back? Did you feel a lot of pressure going into it? Or like, because obviously it was your first time fighting 78. It's like, obviously everyone was really happy, but there would have been some kind of haters saying, oh, it might have been a bit of luck, a bit of a fluke. Do you know what I mean? How did it yeah, feel going into your first tournament? A hundred percent there were people saying that. Um, and I think it was just, I was, I was super nervous and anxious because, well, number one, when you come back from it, I'd been out for six months. I'd had like major surgery on my thumb. So I was super anxious because firstly, you're coming back after injury. But also I knew that, so my first tournament back was actually the British closed. Um, and that for me has always been like the most probably pressure I feel competing in a tournament, even though really when you get when you get kind of the, to the like a level where you're competing abroad, does it really matter if you get bronze or gold at the British Championships? Probably matters to your ego, but it doesn't really matter to how far you're gonna to get to go in elite level judo. Um so yeah, there was I was really nervous for that tournament, but I set my sights on the German Grand Prix being my first tournament back and I didn't want that to be my first tournament back and the only tournament before that was the British Coast and I felt like I, I was just about ready to compete so I thought stuff it I'm just I just need to put myself in there if I enter I know I won't then not fight so I just need to put my entry in and then I'll just fight I won't want to fight but I just got to get on with it um, so I went down and I was super nervous um, I managed to win. I got gold. I don't think I was uh, anything special to watch. Um, but managed to... It was more just kind of getting rid of those cobwebs and kind of knowing that everyone was going to be watching and kind of there would be people that were saying, oh, she can't do it. It was a fluke. Um, but I need, knew I needed to do what I could do to put myself in the best chance for the German Grand Prix. And that was part of it. So I fought there. And then the German Grand Prix, I guess, was my first real tournament back. Um, and I was nervous again, but nowhere near as nervous as I would have been if I hadn't done the British. Um, and I ended up winning the German Grand Prix, which was pretty special, actually, because up until that point, I'd never even won a Grand Prix medal. And the German Grand Prix is a, a pretty tough one. Um, fought some really good girls, managed to win. And, yeah, it was, really, it was, it was nice rather than anything else, like, the Olympics were really, really special. The German Group P, it was great to win, but it was just nice. It was just nice to be able to know, like, yeah, I am of that level. I've always thought that I am. I've proven that I, I was at the Olympics, but people were still saying, well, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe this, maybe that. She's never going to be able to repeat it. But now I've gone and won the German Grand Prix. So, yeah, it was a really nice feeling to win that tournament. After winning a medal in London, did, did your approach to judo change? Like, did that weight of that medal make you look at judo any other way? Like, say, like, did you want to continue after London? Like, keep competing, or was, it, or did any time in your head think, oh, you know what, I've got Olympic medal now, let me just stop? No, it didn't change at all. Like, I was twenty twelve was never going to be the end of my career. Um, and when I won that silver medal, that that didn't change. I wanted to be Olympic champion and. After winning silver in 2012 and then I guess winning German Grand Prix, I really believe that I could be Olympic champion in 2016. And that's the only reason I, I wouldn't have carried on going for another four years, I guess, if I didn't feel that I could have been. Um, obviously, it turns out I'm not. Um, <laughs> but at the time, I really believed that I could. And yeah, nothing changed. I didn't attack my judo any differently, just carried on trying as hard as I could to win. Um, Stubbornness, I think, got me through the next four years because it included a lot of injuries. 
um, and just believing that I could really. Um, so yeah, I would say my approach didn't didn't change. No, I guess my target. So before probably it was obviously to become an Olympian, to do the best I could, and potentially like, get on the podium. Whereas in the four years between London and Rio, the sole goal was to become an Olympic champion. There there wasn't any other goal. Do you know where that motivation comes from? Like, do you, could you say, or is it just something that's natural to you? Because obviously, to go from winning an Olympic medal and then still want to keep going and get another one is a you know that's a, a lot of internal motivation I'd say I think I'm quite stubborn like generally uh, a bit of a stubborn personality I've got and I feel like if I feel that I can do something then I want to prove I can and and also like I love judo and I wanted to be the best I could and I thought that I could be Olympic champion so I guess why would you not and yeah. um, but yeah just just believing I could and basically wanting to prove myself and I guess other people um right or wrong depending on what way um they were thinking that I could go yeah and I know a lot changed for you in that cycle so you you obviously like you said earlier you moved up to Edinburgh um and I think you went mm -hmm. back to uni as well at some point um to study to be a teacher and no I didn't that was the plan okay so okay. the plan was to go back to uni but I didn't actually go back until 2016 okay okay but um no and obviously you had a lot of injuries in that cycle as well. Um, so how, can you sort of yeah. talk us through that cycle and how that was for you? So, I mean, it started off pretty well, as I said, like German Grand Prix champion, felt pretty buzzing. Um, and then I guess the four years, it, it was basically the same. It was kind of got a result and then got another major injury. And I, in that four years, I was off the mat injured more than I was on the mat able to do judo. And like you guys all know, you've had like major injuries. It's like, it's literally the worst because not only are you injured and you can't fight, but you don't get to do the training. So for me, the training that I enjoyed was Randori. That was like my favorite part, going on the mat and trying to throw people massive. And every time I was so far apart away from that and was having to spend hours and weeks and months just doing like pathetic little rehab exercises that just were mind-numbingly boring and I just didn't enjoy any of it but I just knew you have to do you have to do this properly to allow you to get to the stage where you can go back on that world stage and compete and every time I did it and like these injuries weren't little injuries it was like shoulder surgery it was broken wrist it was like torn ligaments in my ankles it was like major major injuries major surgery and each time I was off anywhere between like four and nine months of time and then I'd get back I'd fight in maybe two or three tournaments I'd do pretty good I'd get a result here or there like at the top level and then I was injured again and it kind of that four years just continued like that and it was it was physically hard um but I'd say it was probably more mentally hard because yeah coming back from injury at any point is difficult to kind of keep going through that rubbishy part when you're injured and you feel so far away from being where you want to be. But then to have it happen like again and again and again, that was pretty tough. Yeah. Was there any stages at time that you thought, yeah, no more like in that, in that four years? Did you ever think in your I head? Kind of, I knew that I needed to get to 2016 because every time I got back from an injury, I did get to the point where I was still one of the best in the world. So and every time I was coming back from an injury, I always thought, oh God, am I going to be able to get back to that point? Like, if I can't, then, then I'm done. But I knew that I had to do everything I could to, to try and to see if I could. And every time I did manage to get back to that, 
that level. Um, hang on, what was the question? <laughs> I've lost my way. What did you say? I said it was any time. Any time. Oh, in that well, giving up. That, yeah. yeah. So kind of. Yeah, I knew that I needed to like keep growing, and there was no time when I thought, okay, I'm going to give up. But I knew that I was going to go to 2016, like keep competing, keep training until the Olympic Games. And then after that, as soon as we got past that, I was going to have a look at whether I wanted to carry on doing judo or not. So I kind of already in my head decided that I potentially will not carry on after 2016, but knew that I had to give it my best shot of getting there and competing for that Olympic gold medal. Otherwise, I would have always regretted it. And did your efforts qualify for, for Rio go quite down to the sort of the wire? So I qualified for Rio, um, but both me and Nat, Natalie Powell, we both qualified. And I think that there was one or two Olympic qualifying paces between us. I can't remember what we were. I think we were, could have been like nine and 10 in the world and nine and 11 in the world. It was like, yeah, there wasn't much between us. Um, but obviously British judo had set out their policy of what happened if more than one person qualified for the Olympic Games. And I knew what that policy was, so I knew what I needed to do, and I just wasn't able to do quite enough to get above that in the um, Olympic rankings. So, I mean, that was quite a bit of pill to swallow, because at the time, it wasn't, like, with British Judo, how strong British Judo were at the time, it was, if you qualified for the Olympic Games, you were going, because there were no weight categories where we'd had more than one person. It was like the big fight was to kind of get qualified and then the next fight began to try and win Olympic win the Olympics once you were there I guess um, so whereas now especially in the girls judo you've got maybe two three four weight categories where there'll probably be two people that qualify um, for Britain in each weight category so now it's not so unnormal it's more normal I guess so yeah it was it was quite a hard pill to swallow actually going through all of those injuries, getting back, winning the medals that I won, qualifying, knowing that actually I, I could, I, I still believe I could have been Olympic champion if I went to 2016. I also could have lost first five. There's, there's more chance that I would have not become Olympic champion, but I do believe I could have become Olympic champion. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a bit gutting to say the least, um, but you can only take one. So I guess the selection is the selection that British Judo put in place and that's how it turned out for me, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I was happy that I continued going. I was happy that I obviously qualified. Um, and I think, this, I wouldn't say silver lining, but one thing that I'm really happy that I carried on going is because and it was like six months before 2016 Olympics, I managed to win a bronze at the Tokyo Grandstand. And, Again, that was after coming back from a major injury and it just, it felt really special that outside my Olympic medal, potentially even more than my Olympic medal because I'd had so much, I guess, rubbish before it, that just really felt special and felt like all of that hard work was worth it. Yeah. And that, weren't you the first woman in ever, maybe ever or in quite some time? To yeah. First, yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah. At first and only at the moment, but fingers crossed the girls are going to win some more soon. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you, um, do you mind me asking, did you watch the Olympics? Did you watch Rio? 
No, so we watched a little bit. So basically, Ewan had been pretty close to qualifying for the 2004 Olympics. So obviously, when I knew I wasn't going, but um, obviously, I still had to train all the way up until pretty much a couple of days beforehand because if Nat had got injured, I would have then gone because I had actually qualified. So that was a bit rubbish as well. Um, but Ewan basically said to me, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay and watch it all? Do you want to get away? Like, what do you want to do? And I said, well... Obviously, I am going to want to watch people like Sal and stuff fight. Um, but I would quite like to get away. So we actually went down to Bath. So we went down to Bath for like a week. Um, and I think on the first day of judo, we were on the canal boat. So like along Bath Canal, just rowing down there. And um, I remember you and like, we were trying to get Ashley's fights up on our phone, but the signal was terrible. We were like, ah, so annoying. We can't, we can't actually watch. So I planned on getting away from it and not really watching it. Um, but it's hard to stay away from it, um, especially, I guess, when you're invested, when like your friends are competing and stuff. Um, so we were there down in Bath the first half, and then we were back in Edinburgh at the time Sally fought. Um, so we got to watch Sally's fight here, and I didn't watch the under 78 kilo there. So I can't remember what I did, but I remember that I didn't watch it. I think I was out with friends doing whatever. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, so is that when you... Um... Is that when you stopped competing? Like so I didn't officially retire until the end of 2016. Um, I kind of thought after 2016, I'm going to give myself a bit of time to kind of decide what I want to do. Because at the time I was like, there's no way I'm doing another four-year cycle. I just mentally felt a little bit beaten as well as physically felt a little bit beaten from all the injuries. Um, but I didn't quite feel ready to say no that's definitely it so I kind of gave myself a little bit of time and I also still felt like I could be I could be world champion like I just won that medal at the Tokyo Grand Slam I was still doing the best judo that I ever had done so I kind of I remember saying to you like do you think I should retire do you think I should still go I was like I think I can I think I can not I will because there's no guarantees and again I could lose first fight more likely that I will then I won't, but I, I really believe I could be world champion next year. And he was like, okay, that's good. He was like, do you want to be? And I was like, well, yeah, of course I want to be a world champion. Like, who doesn't want to be world champion? And he was like, but do you really want to be? And I, was, I kind of like had to think about it. And I was like, yeah, of course I would like to be world champion, but am I really willing to put in the hard work that I know I need to put in to give myself even a chance of doing that? And I kind of felt potentially not and then that coincided with the fact that British Judo said to receive your funding you need to move down to Walsall and I wasn't willing to do that I was like a married woman close to wanting to start a family and um, so I guess all of those three things combined made me decide yeah no it's, it's time to retire. Mm. And sort of same question as earlier like how would you sort of describe that period um, sort of the emotions and the feelings of that you know, again, not necessarily the judo part of it, but, you know, to a non-judo person, how would you describe that period? Yeah, I think it's definitely a hard period because, as I said, I can't ever remember not doing judo. Now I can because I've not done it for quite a few years. But at that point, I was a judo player. That's all I could ever really remember being. And then suddenly you're not a judo player anymore. What you've done every day for the last 20 years of your life, you're not doing that anymore. And so that's like a massive change to like happen to your life. Um, 
And I think for me, I was quite lucky because I'd already set up that I was going to go to uni. I was going to do my PGD to become a PE teacher. And me and Yuna decided that we were going to try and start a family. So I became pregnant. So I had a lot of other things to focus on and a lot of other goals. And I think if I hadn't had those things, then I think I would have found it a lot harder than I did. Mm. Yeah. Did you, um, have you, have you struggled at all? Like, with uh, confidence like coming out of because I think that's the thing from people with that have big success not necessarily confidence maybe not the right word but that kind of um, that validation you get from that success like if you struggled at all to sort of feel that that limelight or that kind of um, that buzz since finishing I don't know I, I would say not really no but then I guess when you think back to it probably the first couple like at the moment I'm saying no because it feels like it feels like a different lifetime ago that I was actually a judo player it feels like so long ago but I guess in the couple like the year maybe or so after it there was probably a little bit of that but I also think the fact that as I said like I then had a like had a kid soon after that actually like being a judo player being like an Olympic medalist like at the time felt like the best thing in the world but Mm. I mean, for me, as soon as I had a kid, like that, that trumps any medal or anything. And yeah, that's way more important to me than any Olympic medal could have ever been. And um, obviously at the time, I didn't feel I would ever feel like that. But as soon as a you know, little annoying kid comes along, then yeah, you can't, you can't hide those feelings. Um, so yeah, I think just having something, having stuff set up and having a focus um, made it a much easier transition. I, I think I definitely would have felt lost if I hadn't already had my degree completed, which meant I only had one year of uni to do to become a PE teacher. If I'd had five, four or five years to do of studying to become a PE teacher, I think I would have felt completely lost. I think I would have felt like, yeah, I've gone from everything to nothing. Um, whereas it was actually a nine month course I had to do. Um, really good fun actually like made some really good friends on the course and then I was straight into a new career really do you, do you still do you think about London and Rio like your time obviously it's like obviously you're in a new chapter of your life now but do you still think about judo or not really if I'm honest so no. obviously Ewan's my husband he's judo crazy I love judo as well but he takes it to another level so we actually talk about judo quite a lot because he'll talk to me and ask like my opinions and stuff um so judo is definitely a part of our life and I don't think judo will ever not be a part of our lives and I'm quite happy about that because I think actually just say Ewan wasn't judo he was nothing to do with judo I think that would feel a little bit weird having left behind what was yeah, such a massive, massive, massive part of my life and always will be. But I kind of feel like I'm always going to kind of have that little link with judo while Ewan is doing judo coaching as a job. So it's quite nice, actually, because I'm out of it, but I've kind of got a little toe in there when I, if I want to yeah. get some judo chat in there, I can. Um, do you ever do judo? Yeah, do you ever practice? I, I actually went back um, after about a year after I had Finn and uh, I remember getting absolutely bullied by Sally on the map. <laughs> if you ever talk to Sally, you can you can ask her. Um, and I actually loved it. So I only ever went along to Randori, um, and I wasn't keen on the warm up, the Nagakomi, because 
yeah, I, I wasn't keen on that as a judo player in itself. And always used to be like, oh, I just need to kind of strap my foot while the agikomi is going on because <laughs> literally felt like my body was breaking in pieces. Um, but the actual judo part, the mandoi part, yeah, I loved it. I went for quite a while and then um, obviously lockdown happened and then I'm pregnant again now, having a little girl soon. Um, so I've not done it again, but yeah, I would definitely, once this one's out of the way and maybe one or something, I would like to go back for Andori. Um, Cause yeah, I've always loved Andori and I don't think that passion will ever go, but yes, the knee was a part, wasn't quite so fun getting absolutely murdered by Sal, um, but it, it was still good fun, just. Do any of your students ask you, Gemma, about like, obviously they know that you're Olympic medalist and you've done judo. So do, they, do they talk to you about it or does it not so really it's not something it? I really tell the kids like that I teach, but oh. some of them know purely because the other teachers in my department have big mouths and tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some of them do know and like they will like ask questions and ask what was it like, blah, blah, blah. But generally I try like not try not to say, I mean, if it comes up, it would, I guess it would come up, but I just think that's another part of my life. And I think that quite often, just because you've got like an Olympic medal or whatever, that actually you can get treated in a bit of a better way than you would if you didn't have that Olympic medal. And I just think that's a bit, a bit crappy because just because I'm, I'm literally no different had I lost that semi-final mm. than I am winning that semi-final against Jamea. So, yeah, I, I get why outsiders sometimes treat you a little bit differently, maybe give you a little bit more respect than potentially you deserve, but I just don't think it's quite right. So mm. in the judo world, yeah, I'll talk about it because everyone knows anyway. And also I'm really proud of what I did, um, but outside of the judo world, unless it's going to have a benefit to the kids I'm teaching, I don't really see the relevance. I think it's quite nice to hear actually, Gem, that you, um, cause we often talk about, um, sort of the other end of the spectrum, not letting failure define you as a person and you're sort of not, not letting that success define you as a person, which is also it's like quite a nice thing to sort of, um, hear your perspective on as well. Yeah. I failed a lot as well, Tom. So I, I know it from, <laughs> I know it from both sides and yeah, it's good. So yeah. Ewan, prime example, like, is he any different a person from losing that first fight in London than if he'd been the one that won that medal? No, he's exactly the same person. He's got exactly the same experiences, those experiences that we spoke about in Japan and all of that. It's it literally, it's just a medal, but that's, it sounds like I'm taking it away. As I said, I am still so proud of what I managed to achieve, but yeah, it, it is just a medal at the end of the day. Mm, yeah, sure. Um, what's the what's the best thing that you got away that you've taken away from judo, John? If you had to like say the best thing, I know it's it's a bit cheesy, so we might have to cut this bit. But We've it's set you up for this. This is you, you've got to be nice here. This is the perfect yeah, opportunity. We, yeah, we to be really you loving and doting. <laughs> it, it has got to be you, like, and if we take you and out of it, then the next thing would be my friends. So some of my friends from Bath, like Shiv, Megan, Lou, like Charlotte, that. They're like still my best friends. I don't get to see them as much because obviously I live up in Scotland. I spent two hours on the phone today talking to Shiv. Like she's one of my best friends. And that I would say is 
the best thing that I've taken away from judo is you and I guess relationships, relationships and experiences. And Shiv's a teacher, yeah, as well, isn't she? Yeah, she's a PE teacher as well. That's cool. So you can sort of moan about kids together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you give to 18-year-old Gemma? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, there's probably lots, but lots that probably aren't quite appropriate for this, if there's kids listening. I get. I guess generally, if you boil it down into one thing it's probably just to try your best like if you're choosing to do something and like giving up your time and you really want to do something then don't do it half-heartedly because things generally are pretty hard to get and to do well at and to achieve in so if you're doing something half-heartedly then number one you've got no chance of doing well um but also if you end up i guess falling short a little bit which happened to me hundreds and hundreds of times in my career like has happened to every sports star you can probably ever think of, at one point you're going to fall short in something that you wanted to achieve it. Eventually you're able to walk away happy. And I guess that's kind of like the 2016 scenario for me. I did everything I could and I was raging at the time. (laughs) I wasn't there on the mat in 2016. Um, But I did do everything I could. There's nothing more that I could have done. Um, So I'm I'm proud of that time. And I, I guess when I was in that lecturer's office and he said, that's it, you're chucked off. And me knowing that not only would I not get a degree, not only would I not be able to become a PE teacher, I wouldn't be able to afford to stay in Bath. So I'd have to be given up pretty much on judo. I just knew that I could, I could never let myself feel like that again. And that I'd be like absolutely kicking myself for the rest of my life if he, the lecturer had said, no, you're not having another chance. I just knew I couldn't let that happen again. So. Yeah, as simple as it sounds, if you're going to do something and you're going to choose to try and do it properly, then actually do it properly. Like, don't have any regrets. That's good advice, actually. (laughs) Really good advice. (laughs) Um, Obviously, I think you've covered that, like, saying that for our next question about if you're giving advice for someone training full-time. But have you got any advice for anyone transitioning out of sport? I think once you're transitioning out of sport, once you're already at that stage, not that it's too late, but actually the advice that you need is probably very different to the advice you would give someone who's 10 years away from transitioning out of their sport. But the advice that I'd give someone 10 years out of transitioning from their sport, knowing that they're going to have to transition at some point, which every sports person has to do, would be the advice that I would be looking so for the future, I'd be saying the advice I'm giving you now, it's not for now, really, it's for the future, but basically to set yourself up because ultimately you, you can't be an elite athlete for, forever. Um, and when you come out, it can be very difficult because I was just Gemma Gibbons, the judo player. And losing that identity, I've been that person for so long, going from that to nothing, and having nothing set up and not knowing what I was going to do with my life, I think would that, I would have found that really, really difficult. So actually giving the advice earlier on, 10, 15 years beforehand, I know you can't see it now, but one day you will not be able to do judo anymore, whether it's because you don't want to, whether it's because you've had so many injuries, whether it's down to your age, whatever it is, whether you're just not good enough, you will not be able to continue at some point and just having something set up for after so doing some studying 
whatever it might be, setting it up so that you do when you come out, you've got something, I guess, to look forward to. Because otherwise, it's pretty hard to look forward when, for me, my dream job was to be an elite level judo player. And outside of being a mom, that still would always be my dream job. I can't do that anymore. So my second dream job is being a PE teacher. And I'm getting to do that. But I'm not going to lie, my dream job would still be to be a judo player, but I just can't, I just can't do it anymore. I'm too old. Um, so I think just, yeah, setting yourself up so that you have got something that you can look forward to and something that you can work from rather than going back to like zero and having to try and create something from nothing. Yeah. Where, where do you sit on um, like commitment, Gem? So obviously there's like two sides to it. There's the definitely the sort of realization that you need to be massively committed to, you know, if you're going after a ridiculous dream, which an Olympic medal is, you need to be massively committed to that. Um, on the other side, there's that preparation for what comes next. Like, how do you sort of see those two balancing? Do you think it's sort of possible to do both or, um, yeah, what's your thought? For me, yes, because I made some decisions that allowed it to be possible. So a three-year degree took me about eight years because I did it very, very part-time. Um, and at the time I thought, this is ridiculous. But my main goal was to be the best judo player I could be. And I was just supplementing it with a little bit of education to allow once I finished that I had that degree that I could then, I guess, take my second dream from. Um, but I'm also fully aware that my second dream was to become a P teacher. And if your second dream is to become a neurosurgeon, then potentially your balancing <laughs> act of training and education may be a little bit trickier, but I, all, I, I do always think there is, there is a way around it. I think that ultimately you need to kind of decide what your main priority is. And for me, it was always going to be judo and then just kind of getting the other stuff in there when you can, but not letting it affect your judo or letting it affect it as minimal as possible. Um, but I think you can always, there's always stuff that you can be doing alongside it. Cool. Awesome. Um, Aaron, you happy? Do you want to ask the secret question? I could ask the secret question. I might put Gemma on the spot. Um, <laughs> so Gem, you're, 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 stand, you're, you're, at home, you're in, you're in London. Gemma, you're from London. All right. You're not, even though you're in Scotland now, you're a Londoner. Okay. You're in <laughs> London. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're there on a billboard and you're there and you've got a, it's your life motto. What do you live your life by? 18-year-old me or 30-year-old me? <laughs> There's a big difference. Let's go now, present day. Um, I think present day. Um, probably something simple like give it your all, try your best. Like, it's so cheesy, but like be the best you that you can be because, yeah, just have no, have no regrets. I've said about five there. Take your pick. <laughs> have no regrets. I reckon that's it. All right. Yeah. Good. But one. you've got. You've also got to have fun along the way. Definitely. That could be like in a little bit underneath it. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's good <laughs> advice. It's been really appreciate your time and like you're just speaking really um, honestly and openly and yeah, really appreciate your sort of uh, willingness to do that and uh, 